not do teaching here at Pilgrim Church. We either bring in a guest uh, in-house, someone on our team, someone here, or someone outside of our church. Originally, I had a friend, pastor friend of mine, but they have a big relocation situation that came up in their building, and so that stepped out, and I thought, well, I can jump in. We have Andres scheduled later on as well, uh, but we have two people who are in full-time ministry who are part of our church, and I'm trying to pull them out in their giftings uh, in our congregation more and more when they're willing, uh, but they're very uh, reticent and tell me, you know, no whenever they feel like it. But I try, and this year they, uh, we've got both of them slated at one point, and I asked, hey, to one of them, could you step up your time? I know this is more quick. We had this email exchange probably like two weeks ago or three weeks ago now, um, and uh, he was willing to do that. So this morning, we are honored again for the second time here at Pilgrim to have Felix Chan share the teaching today. And he, of course, I don't, I say you can do whatever you want. Well, within reason. I mean, <laughs> do, do what I mean. In the end, so he's going to actually teach in series in 1 Corinthians what we've been doing and what we'll jump back into before we get into Lent and Easter again as well. So uh, Felix, thank you for uh, being here today. Thank you for bringing the teaching today. And let's give Felix a warm pilgrim welcome. Since it's the second time, let's give him a warm pilgrim welcome. He's not exactly an outsider, but you know, welcome, welcome him to it. So. Very much, Shell. Uh, fun facts: the uh, the friend that uh, Shell had invited previously was my past or my old boss. So, again, I'm still picking up after his mistakes. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Shout out to John Howe. Um, no, he's a good man. He's a good man. Pastor at Reality Church. Good morning, everyone. Um, if you haven't a chance to uh, get to to meet myself, uh, my wife and Je my wife Jessica and I, we work with uh, Power Change, a campus ministry. Since we've been there the past 10 years at UBC and SFU. So usually we preach to students, so um, back in church context, I just reduced the level of memes by 100%. So, uh, sorry, sorry about that. Um, uh, kids, uh, kids are back there, so if there's any yelling or screaming, just blame me um, in my parenting. Now, uh, Michelle's done a tremendous job the past few weeks uh, walking us through the book of Second Corinthians, and so I won't rehash everything, but just to give us some good context. So Paul, he had planted uh, this church amongst Corinthians, and everything was going really well. People were growing, coming to faith, and then at some points, there was uh, there some these rivals, these super apostles who came in all eloquent and steering them away from following uh, the gospel message. And over time, this church, they rebelled. And Paul finds out about this through Timothy and other means. And so he shows up in Corinth in person to correct this false teaching. And for what we read, it was not an easy visit. As imagine there was a lot of perhaps challenges and, and arguments and whatnot. But because of this visit, a majority of these believers in Corinth reconciled and repented. Yet some were still against Paul and the gospel he proclaimed in Christ. And so this letter of 2 Corinthians is a challenge and also an encouragement to the church. Next slide, please. 
So in this passage right before the Second Corinthians 4, sorry, he is defending his integrity as an apostle and is highlighting how what he's sharing with the people is not of his own power, but it is of God's. And despite immense persecution and suffering, he maintains, he maintains a perseverance in the Lord because of Christ's life and death. And today we'll explore more of Paul's themes of suffering, hope, and home. And as many of you know, uh, many people celebrated Chinese New Year. And so millions of people traveled all over the world to return to their hometowns or wherever their families are or their friends were. And usually these times are full of joy and a time of celebration. But you as, as, as I, we, we all know that our relationships with friends and family are not always as perfect and as rosy, as homey and sweet as we want it to be. All of our relationships are flawed in some way because of sin. And deep down, we all long for something more, for healing and for restoration. So to continue our journey, I'll share a quote from J.R. Tolkien, one of my favorite writers. And some of you might have known that he is the author of Lord of the Rings, but he is also a Christian. Him and C.S. Lewis were good friends. And he writes this. There's a place called heaven where the good here unfinished is completed and where the stories unwritten and the hopes unfulfilled are continued. We may laugh together yet. The stories unwritten, the hopes unfulfilled are continued. We may laugh together yet. And I think he beautifully describes that tension that we experience, that longing for the beyond, for the more on this time. And so I'll share a story of my own that I think reveals my own need for God and my own longing for restoration. So some of you guys might have heard um, a personal story and Jessica shared a few months ago or last year about uh, when I was diagnosed with cancer uh, five years ago. Long story short, I would brought Abby for an eye exam and I just took an exam for myself just on a whim, even though my eyesight was really good. And what the optometrist found out was that there was some, something going on with my eyes, and so she sent me to a specialist, and what the specialist told me was that I had a rare form of cancer called chronic myeloleukemia. And we were both shocked because I was very physically active and, and healthy, um, and actually this is something uh, this disease only showed up in people that were primarily you know, 60, 70, and 80. And so being 29 at that time, I suppose, it was very, uh, it's, it's very shocking and very challenging for us. Now, thankfully, there was a treatment at that time uh, that had been developed just maybe 15 years ago. So whereas people had lived only one to five years after diagnosis, now they were living normal lifespans. And so here I was in 2016, just super confident, and as, as our daughter Ellie would say, easy, easy peasy lemon squeezy. Just take this drug every day and everything will be fine. 
because 90% of, of people who took this drug experienced remission and were back on track. And so over two to three months, I did that. I took this pill that costs $300 a day, covered by healthcare, praise the Lord. And I started getting back into remission. But uh, this one night in December, I experienced this severe stomach pain. Um, I thought it was indigestion, but it just became more excruciating. And so I went to the, uh, the ER, and after several hours of testing, they found out that I had this rare side effect called gastroparesis, where everything in my digestive system, my stomach has stopped working. So uh, over several hours, they stuck a tube down my throat and sucked up all the contents of my stomach. A very beautiful word picture, what can I say? <laughs> um, but there it was, my body had failed me, and this drug was um, not going to cut it. That's what doctors said. They said, you're going to have to go off this. We don't have, we're, we're going to have to move on. So in the middle of the night, we were both devastated. We had this, this confidence, utter confidence in this drug to move us forward, to bring him back to health, but it was not working. It was definitely a moment when we would both say, myself particularly, we'd rather be away from the body <laughs> and home with the Lord. Now, my wife would tell you that I'm a very driven and just progress-oriented person. Just grind, grind, grind. But the situation was something that I could just grind forward. Now, I, I couldn't say that I was contemplating suicide at that time. But I did wonder about how to escape this uncertainty and this pain. Thankfully, I have an amazing wife and friends and family who support me during that dark season because I could not have gone through that myself. I can imagine that, sorry, I should just backtrack. Fortunately, praise the Lord, there's another drug. So I'm alive here today, as you can see. <laughs> sorry, should probably finish up that story. Um, and, and the honest truth is that this is kind of an exper experimental drug. So I am in remission, but we don't know what the future holds for the next 10, 20, 30 years to keep trusting in God for each day. And now I don't know if you're walking through cancer as well or you've had some other circumstance of pain and suffering, but I think we can all experience that longing for escape and for a sense of the home, the future restored bodies. And the idea of the reality of death is hard to understand, whether we've been living for a long time, whether we've been Christians for long or aren't walking with faith yet. Yet our passage today will offer a glimpse of that hope and that look into what does life and death resurrection mean from a gospel lens. So through chapter four, um, if you're gonna go to the next slide actually. Actually, I was uh, the optometrist who helped save my life. So Marple Optometry in Granville, highly recommend if you uh, <laughs> have any, <laughs> any challenges. Next slide, please. So chapter four, um, we see this, this glimpse of what Paul talks about 
the contrast of life and death here and the future, the temporal and the permanent. So read that for us. Chapter 4, verse 16 to 18. Therefore, we do not despair, but even if our physical body is wearing away, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For a momentary light suffering is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Because we are not looking at what can be seen, but at what cannot, what can, sorry, we are looking at what can be seen, but what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, what cannot be seen is eternal. Paul states that even though he and his co-workers' bodies are wasting away physically, he is being renewed spiritually daily. And despite his suffering as an apostle of God, he does not lose heart. And why is that? Because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead enables him to, one, endure adversity, and two, provides a sure sign that he'll experience resurrection at the end of all ages. Now, verse 17 may seem like Paul doesn't have much compassion for problems and anxieties. Our momentary light suffering producing internal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Next slide, please. Yet we know that he went through many hardships and persecutions himself. At the very start of 2 Corinthians of this letter, he shares the severe suffering he experienced in Asia. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8 to 9. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raised the dead. He also experienced that longing, that being stretched beyond what he could handle. Yet he learns and pass on to us eternal perspective. He now sees his suffering as light and momentary in view of the eternal view of weight of glory far beyond all comparison. The suffering itself doesn't bring benefit, but only in light of God's eternal perspective. Actually, I just really like that song that uh, Andres and the team led with great anxiety, faithfulness, strength for today, and hope for tomorrow. And so Paul shares more about that tension in chapter 5. Next slide, please. 2 Corinthians 1 to 5. For we know that if our earthly house, the tent we live in, is dismantled, we have a building from God, a house not built by human hands, that is eternal in the heavens. For in this earthly house we groan, because we desire to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed, after we have put on our heavenly house, we will not be found naked. For we groan while we are in this tent, since we are weighed down, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Next slide, please. So there's two main pictures here. The tent refers to our human bodies that will decay and die. That'd be common imagery because 
many people lived in tents back, they, back in that day. And Paul himself was a tent maker at times. And heaven is where God has already prepared our future bodies. Heaven is our true home away from home. Now second, there's also the idea of body as clothing. And the Christian hope for the future isn't for us to not have bodies, but to have new bodies. He groans and longs for resurrection so that we can be restored. And he's probably referring at this time about how the spirits of believers will be with God while we have await, awaiting our future resurrected bodies. And I think C.S. Lewis described this well in Mere Christianity. Next slide there. It's a famous quote that you might have heard. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. We were made for another world. Now, before we move on to verse 6 and 10, um, I just want to highlight verse 5 again. Now, the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. The one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. Now, it's worth stepping aside to think about the Spirit and what He does for us, why He exists, why He is walking with us now. The Spirit is God's gift to all people in this time. He's a guarantee of the life to come. And the Spirit raised Jesus himself, and he will also raise us. We know that the Spirit is God's permanent presence in us. But what does that mean for our day-to-day -day lives? And the next slide, I'll just share a few brief examples in an acronym that our staff team came up with that helped us to remember that the Spirit is with us and is powerful. So the acronym is SELLER. C-E-L-L-R. Conviction. So how the spirit molds and shapes attitudes and our actions. Effectiveness. The spirit helps us become more, in, more enabled to serve in God's kingdom. Ways to glorify Christ, to sharpen and build each other up. Leadership. The spirit leads and guides us in truth. Life, the Spirit gives us his, his fruits, love, peace, joy. And relationship, the Spirit helps to experience our adoption as children of God, as sons and daughters. I'd love to spend more time, but I'm sure we will in the future. So moving on from this brief look at that Spirit that resides within us, Next slide in verse 6 and 7. Therefore, we are always full of courage. We know that as long as we are alive here on earth, we are absent from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. Paul means that when he dies, though his physical body will be buried here on earth, he expects that his soul or spirits will go immediately to the presence of Christ. And we'll stay in that condition until the day of resurrection. And next slide. 
verse 8 and 9 and 10. Thus, we are full of courage and prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Again, that theme of we're here, we long to be with God, but we are here still. So then whether we are alive or away, we make it our ambition to please him. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be paid back according to what he has done while in the body, whether good or evil. This next slide. Uh, here are the runes in, in Corinth of a judgment seat. So you can imagine crowds assembled to hear the decisions that were made. Not like a courthouse where it's more uh, a selected amount of people who would be there, but this is anyone could go there to be a witness to the proceedings. Uh, in some, some context, the commentator Drew the Deal writes, the judgment seat was a tribunal bench in the Roman courtroom where the governor sat and rendered verdicts. Paul is emphasizing that present day actions have eternal consequences. All Christians will appear before the eternal judgment seat of Christ to receive what is due them for the deeds they've done in their earthly life. And that is, I think that is a fruitful and a needed challenge. I know sometimes I can just rest and okay, I am with the Lord now, I am forgiven. And I feel like, oh, I have some license to do whatever I want. Not really. <laughs> we, are, we are still cannibal to God. And that's why we have a spirit to sharpen us, to lead us. And, and there's also a, a parallel in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12 to 15, as uh, in two slides over. Actually, maybe I don't have that. My bad. Uh, I'll, I'll just share this briefly. Paul writes, each one's work will become manifest for the day, judgment day, will disclose it because it'll be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only through fire. Now, to be clear, we are already justified by faith. We're given a new life through faith by the death and resurrection of Christ. The writer N.T. Wright says, the future verdict is brought forward into our present. So all our stewardship, all of our service, what we do in this life will be judged. But our position as forgiven sons and daughters, that is forever. So what does this mean for us today? And how does this passage apply to our lives? And one of the challenges that we experience when we read scripture is it becomes do's and don'ts, a behavior change and trying to shift to become a person that's a little more spiritual, perhaps. We end up just with do's and don'ts like, oh, don't be worried, don't be afraid. Overlook the suffering. Yet as Christians, it's important to realize that God put these passages here not to just direct us to behavior, but to point our hearts to the hope and security that is found only through Christ. 
And I'll suggest two questions that will help us identify what was true then in Paul's time, but also true for us now. So first, how does this passage reveal our tendency to respond with discouragement instead of trusting in the guidance of Jesus? When life's challenges hit us, are we quick to respond with, I trust in God? I know it's not always the case for me. I ask and cry out to God, are you in control? Are you still with me? I look at the world sometimes and be like, are you still with us? <laughs> and shout out to my wife, she referred me to this passage in Matthew 16, verse 21 to 23. It's a short passage, I'll just narrate it for us. And this is near the end of Christ's ministry. He says, the, uh, the passage says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. He must be killed, and on the third day he raised to life. In verse 22, he says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus, he turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Peter completely misses the point. He misses the essential part that Jesus would be raised from the dead. He says, never, Lord, never will this happen to you, meaning the suffering and the death. Jesus doesn't call Peter Satan, but he sees the work of Satan in Peter's heart. Satan would have his only focus on what we can see, our suffering and our death now. And Satan would have us forget the reality of the resurrection. And perhaps Peter was overcome with fear for his friend and master, and probably fearful for himself, as we see later on when he betrays Jesus. And if I'm honest, I probably would have said something similar. Resurrection will not compute in my feeble brain. And my wife would say something similar of my cancer diagnosis, something similar to what Christ was told by Peter. And sometimes we can only see the suffering and the death and the uncertainty. But what we have to remember is the reality of the resurrection that changes everything for us. We have an amazing gift. We know that Christ has been raised from the dead. He will also raise us by his spirit and he will bring us to our real home away from this temporal home. Now, second question, how does this passage inspire me to gain an eternal perspective through Jesus? I reminded how amazing it is to have a spirit within us. And to remember that the spirit is renewing me day after by day, no matter what happens to me physically. And now, I don't think it's helpful to marginalize our difficulties or our sufferings, but I think perhaps it's useful for us to consider that question in light of all eternity. What is this, the real challenge for me in this suffering right now? 
how will this challenge affect me in light of eternity? I'm gonna drive this home with two application points. First, God has secured our eternal home so we can live with confidence and have an eternal perspective as we live in this temporary home. Second, God has given us his spirit so we can live with hope and purpose despite our trials and failing bodies. I know Shell will dive into this in the next few weeks, but we have an amazing opportunity to be ministered reconciliation, to carry on the work of Christ. We are new creations who have the honor to be ambassadors for a world who desperately need him. And there'll be seasons of deep trials and sufferings for each of us. At these times, we need to remind ourselves and one another that this home is just fragmented and is for now. We need to remember that Christ cares for each one of us. He is with us by spirit and he renew all things. When we encounter uncertainty, we must remember that Christ is the ultimate victor. He became lost to the Father so we could be found and given an eternal home. We can remember that we are eternally secure because of Christ's willing death on the cross. And I'll invite the worship team up as I close. And Paul writes these powerful words in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5. And death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Matt Maher turns us to a powerful song called Christ is Risen that has encouraged me deeply in many seasons. And I'll share some lyrics that will be up here as well. Christ is risen from the dead. We are one with him again. Come awake, come awake. Come and rise up from the grave. O death, where is your sting? O hell, where is your victory? O church, come stand in the light. The glory of God has defeated the night. May you remember that Christ is risen and that he is our hope in every season. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that no matter the season, you're with us by your spirit. I thank you for the work of Jesus that has enables us, enables us to see beyond our current trials. I thank you for our future home. Lord, I pray for each of us as we live in this temporary home. Help us to point one another to the comfort we have through you. Help us trust in you each day, Lord. In Christ's name. Thank you, Felix, for bringing that word this morning.